Welcome to the Unfair Advantage sessions, uh, a series of interviews with some of the world's top leaders in the digital, the social, and, and research technology industry. My name is Calvin Yonk. I'm the MD of UNO, a company that's all about bringing you know, global technology and service providers, connecting them with African professionals and service providers, and just bridging that gap. Um, and I believe that, that the tech is, is only as good as the people behind them, it's from the end users and their needs to the creators, the, the founders, and the leaders uh, of, of the companies and the clients themselves. So these interviews are intended to, to deep dive into the experiences, the history, and the philosophies that led these leaders to where they are now. And our, our goal is to uncover their unfair advantage. Uh, and with me today is the evergreen, completely affable powerhouse that is uh, Mike Stopforth, somebody I've had the pleasure of knowing for, it must be, Mike, what, 10, 10 plus years now. And somebody who's defined our, our local industry in so many ways, uh, massive influence on my career and someone I respect uh, immensely. So Mike, thanks, thanks for joining me today. Sure, Calvin, I'm, I'm flattered. That's, uh, that's very kind of you to say that. Good to be on the show. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. We must have, what, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember better than me, we must have met around 2009, 2010. Yeah, uh, you were a client, or at least a prospective client. I don't know if I ever, ever closed that deal. No? You did. You did indeed. You did a great job. <laughs> we were in the Celsi in the Celsi canteen with with Warren Moss from, really? from Demographica, and uh, and you guys did some content work for us. I think it was a, a blog called Geekery.co.za. Yeah, I actually, we did, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I looked it up. It doesn't doesn't exist anymore as a as a domain. <laughs> <laughs> that was Cerebra, right? I mean, so that was I mean that was what 2009 2010. That was you being part of Cerebra. Um, I think a brand that a lot of people in our industry know. How far into the Cerebra journey would that have been? Yeah, so that would have been three or four years in, into Cerebra's journey. So we we registered uh, the Cerebra entity in 2006, form, formalized what is at that point in time, I guess, a loose uh, collaboration between myself and Dave Duarte and a couple of other guys that uh, saw an opportunity to I guess, legitimize uh, social media as a communications channel for brands. And, you know, by the time we were talking to you, fortunately, the entire industry had, had, had exploded. And, and I guess we were sort of these unwitting <laughs> uh, yeah. forerunners riding this wave of, of uh, this trend that had suddenly become uh, an extremely uh, prevalent consideration for, for a lot of people. So we, we were just, we, I think we considered ourselves super lucky. Yeah, I forgot. I'm, I'm actually trying to think whether I knew or maybe just forgot that it was uh, Dave Duarte that you started the, uh, the company with. That was, uh, you know, that, that's quite a memory as well. Um, so, I mean, you've touched on it now, but maybe for the, the two people that don't really, really know Cerebrit, how would you describe it? What were you guys trying to do? What was that void that you were filling in that industry um, that by 2009 was starting to flourish? Yeah, so there was a sense that um, traditional agency service providers uh, were struggling to grapple with the conversational nature of social media. And because we had come uh, from a non-traditional agency background, we were a lot more comfortable helping brands navigate through this idea of, you know, how do we show up as, as conversational personalities in, in the social media realm? And so originally a lot of our work uh, came from partnerships with agencies that already had established relationships with clients. And this quite often happens in our industries. You get very niche providers coming into 
the space as new tools or, 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 or new ways of communicating become prevalent, then they sort of define uh, an offering and, and, and they, they become agency partners. And then as they grow, they, they sort of become service providers in their own right. That, that cycle seems to repeat on itself over and over again. What we avoided doing though, and I see a lot of agencies who start as very niche service providers, getting to the point where they have to decide whether or not they're going to diversify um, and start to add other um, adjacent uh, services or offerings that are kind of similar to their niche, but maybe not core. And we, we decided not to. We decided to, to, to stay quite, quite passionately committed to just doing social media, even when at the time, I mean, if we're thinking 2009, uh, 2010, this is the time when those social media platforms started to commercialize, so started to add um, promotion and advertising into their, their commercial mix. And even then we were like, well, do we, do we become a paid media company that just specializes in social? And we didn't, we, we stuck to our guns, rightly or wrongly. I still don't know whether that was a good or bad decision, but we stayed committed to figuring out how to create great content, organic content, um, and how to manage customer service uh, in that realm. And the latter part of that, I think was the part where we really we really did great work and where we were willing to take on work that I think a lot of people just didn't want to get, get close to, didn't want to touch with a barge pole because of the risks involved and the, and the unknown elements in that space. But I'm really gr glad we did. I think in a, in a way we kind of defined how, how that work was supposed to be done and, and that stood us in good stead later on. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think there's many, there's many companies that kind of ended up you know, in the mid 2010s uh, and later on as as focusing on that social care element which which i think is where you guys were, were getting a lot of business and focus at that point but back in back in the the early stages it was around this this content creation the um the, the understanding of filling that gap was there a lot of competition at that point or were you guys potentially one of the first people to maybe make it known that this is something that needs to be focused on so originally there wasn't much um, much competition at all. Actually, it was great. Uh, we were pretty average at content creation, and yet, you know, as I keep saying, in the land of the blind man, the one-eyed man is king, right? Like, so we were the only people doing it. So even though we were cuck, we were like still the best. Um, and then every agency on the planet realized that there wasn't really anything special about social media content creation. If you created content for any channel you could replicate that skill set in, in the social realm. And suddenly we, we were like, oh no, <laughs> uh, everybody can do what we can do in, in that regard. So it forced us to get better very quickly. And I mean, we, we hired um, Jacques Shalom at that stage. He'd come from a, a traditional agency content generation environment. And he really legitimized our offering in, in the creative space. And, and I think we, we then realized we had to add a solid uh, analytical underpinning to what we did. So at that point in time, we kind of spun off four, four offerings, right? There was the, the insights offering, which focused on, on the work that, that you do and, and work very closely with partners like yourself to help clients build a, a solid analytical foundation to their work. Um, there was the, the, the agency work, which was the, the content creation piece. There was the, the more advisory or consulting elements, which, you know, I think we loved doing because it elevated the level of influence that we had in our, in our clients and, and gave us a seat at the, at the most 
uh, important decision-making tables in, in the client. And then, of course, the academy work. You know, from the beginning for Cerebra, a big part of our focus was educating our own market. And I, 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 I loved doing that work. I still do. I mean, if you, I think I'm a closet teacher that is, has just kind of consistently veiled that passion in, in other businesses that I create. But I've, I've always loved um, trying to help people understand new ideas and new, new trends, new technologies in a way that's very accessible and easy to, to kind of grasp onto. Yeah, I mean, that was, that's something that's always been very clear to me as well. And, and I think something that I've also tried to emulate a lot of, you know, that whole education element of what you guys did from the, from the early stages and through the rest of the business. There was a kind of a dual side to that as well. You know, you as Mike Stopforth, through this education initiative or this, this teaching, let's call it an ambition that, that, you've, always, that you've always had, was you were able to be front and center, be a speaker at a lot of events, be invited to lots of panels. And that was, in, I suppose, very important for the brand of the company and for yourself as well. I just feel, I feel like that was quite an important part to the success of the business, wasn't it? You know, you being wanting to, I guess, be front and center and, and spread the gospel of what you believed in, right? Originally, certainly, Calvin. So, so in the early part of, of so I, in a way, and I was, I was chatting to somebody about this the other day, in a way, my ability to start the business to develop some thought leadership out of pretty much nowhere and zero credibility to be invited to be a columnist to write blogs that people were reading and sharing all of that was the best case study i could have had for the existence of cerebra because if if i could do that then i guess any customer could or any employee could and yeah. for a, for a brand that's like wow okay so, so the traditional gatekeepers of influence uh, and media are, are, are not as not as influential as we deem them to be before. And if if social media makes the unpublished published, and Mike's an example of that, well, then maybe that dynamic is is a, a signal. And that's not to suggest that what I was doing was even uh, good or right or necessary. It just was. Um, and and now we've seen what happens when kind of anybody has the power to publish on social media. That you know it has both really exciting potential and also quite, quite terrifying <laughs> ramifications. Yeah, sure. The whole, the, um, whole, the whole heavy heavy chef kind of ideology, yeah. But I very quickly realized that if if people were only working with Cerebra because I was there or, you know, were only contracting with the business because of, of the, the hope of working with me, that was going to be unsustainable because you only have so much time. And so... I made quite a deliberate attempt to um, to to steer energy away from building uh, whatever brand it was that I had, uh, which was sort of minuscule, but, but towards building the Cerebra brand. Because I realized the moment I would have considered myself a legitimate entrepreneur was when somebody decided to work with Cerebra and have absolutely no knowledge of my involvement in it whatsoever. You know, that, that, that would be the moment that, that it had reached a level of legitimacy and, and value in its own right that was completely independent of, of whatever input I had. And, and, and I think we got there. Uh, and, and you know, kind of the proof of the pudding is like, if you can sell a business like that and then walk away, and it maintains its momentum and, and legitimacy in the market, then that's usually a good sign. And that was really important to me. I mean, probably also yeah. quite a lot of ego in that, but like also just like knowing that I built something of, of significance outside of my direct influence. The problem was that I, I feel like I did such a good job of that, that when I moved out of Cerebra, then nobody knew who I was anymore. So I was like, ah, oh, shit. I mean, <laughs> 
<laughs> I need to do that again. <laughs> um, and and I don't quite have the the boldness and the ignorance and the naivety of youth anymore. Now I'm now I'm quite a self um, uh, like I, 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 it's been harder to do that now because I, yeah, I keep saying this sure. to myself. You know, I'm like. Yeah. Does anybody really want to hear from you? Or <laughs> well, let's 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 skip. I mean, we'll we'll get back to that because I think that's quite an interesting conversation that we can um, we, we can lead into. But I'm 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 really interested in how it starts. So if we go a bit back, um, way back, that you uh, you went to Benoni High, right? Oh, um, which I yeah what yeah yeah no we let's let's go all the way back. I mean, and I know I know there's a couple of my uh, of my team and colleagues that uh, that are on the model of, of Benoni High as well. So there's there's a lot of connections there. Um, and but a lot like a lot of the people that I've spoken to on on this show and you know out uh, out in the world as well, the entrepreneurs that we speak to, you you started making some side hustle cash um, in high school already, right? I mean you you had a, a couple of endeavors that you you started doing before you went got into the workforce, correct? Yeah, well, I didn't want to do any real work, Calvin. Like, I didn't want to go work at the like local blockbuster video or anything. So, uh, what I landed up doing was I, I played the drums. I played the drums originally when I was quite involved uh, in the church as, as a youngster, and so I learned to play the drums there. And then I realized other people wanted to play the drums as well. So I was like, "Rad, let me let me teach them to do so." Again, not great, and certainly no authority to do so, but. Uh, but I was better than the other guy, so that that was that, that was worth charging money for. Um, and then and then the other thing that I did was I, I bred uh, snakes, pet snakes, <laughs> and flogged those to uh, friends who probably had them for about a week and then gave up on them. So there's probably a really high percentage of non-indigenous snakes in the felt in in, in Benoni to this day, and and I might be responsible for that partly, but. Uh, we'll deal with that at a later stage. I didn't come from an entrepreneurial family. Um, and my dad is, uh, is a diesel mechanic by trade and has worked flipping hard in the construction industry to become uh, a plant director over the years. But I mean, he really worked the same job in three different companies for 40 years, as, as many of our dads did. You know? yeah, uh, my sure. mom was a, a primary school teacher and um, just retired last year after 35 years in, in the same school of astonishing uh, contribution to, to formative education in Benoni again, um, best formative education in the country. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, so I, I didn't really even know the idea of on, being an entrepreneur existed until maybe my early twenties. You know, I actually just thought I was really bad at getting jobs. I, th I just thought I was really bad at knowing what I wanted to do. Um, yep. And you sort of find out later on that that might be a, might be a strength, you know. And I definitely am to this day a generalist. Like I, I, I'm not particularly good at anything, but I'm quite average at a lot of things. And that that sort of has helped me um, find ways to create value and connect dots across different sectors in a way that maybe other people might not have uh, seen. Yeah, I've, I've kind of picked up on that as well. There's a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs that that seem to fit the mold of generalists and wanting to do a couple of things as well. You know, you know, not not getting overly excited about that one thing that they are that they are good at. Um, so 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 after high school, um, what did what did you do then? Did you just go straight out and get a job, or try and get a job? As you say, you struggled to maybe. Uh, no, fit into well, any of them? One of those um, aptitude test people, you know, the career guidance counselors. And 
they said you are a people's person so you should do uh, industrial psychology and human resources so I was like cool that sounds like a plan uh, and I went to the incredible tertiary institution known as LMB campus uh, which was basically a satellite campus for UNISA and I did a and then started an industrial a BA industrial psych degree through LNB, which is like a campus in Boxburg, um, because it was close. You know, that was the extent of my thinking about about where I should go, um, and and I, I hated it. <laughs> it was terrible. I like I was bored, and all I really wanted to do was play in a band and. Um, like I said before, I was quite involved in, in the church community at that stage. So I was kind of very, very committed to, but I just, I just didn't really want to do the work. And so the first year was kind of okay. And then the second year I decided not to go to campus anymore and just do the degree, um, by correspondence, but I did a really shit job of that. I just wasn't disciplined enough. I didn't care enough about the work. So eventually kind of dropped out at the end of that year. Um, and then, uh, took, took a couple of months break um, and then restarted a degree with the credits that I had at, at UJ, at Rao. Uh, and that was more of a kind of audiovisual production management, sort of to more in the kind of film production or audiovisual production, which I thought was more my vibe because I was, you know, deemed myself to be more creative. And the problem there was that like I was older than everybody now at varsity. I was like by uh, mm. two years, you know, so I didn't really fit in socially. I didn't enjoy that part of it. So, and the work again was just horrendously boring. Uh, so, so yeah, I ended up dropping out there as well, which again, I just, I'm brutally aware, you know, of how extremely irresponsible I was with the privilege of tertiary education at the time. It just, you know, only a, you know, straight rich white man could be that like, that, like um, flippant about the opportunity yeah. to study something I, you know, I really felt that I needed to make up for later on in life. So I went back to, to school and finished my degree eventually because I just felt so uh, shitty about. Um, what, uh, what, what, did you, what did you end up doing? Well, I ended up uh, now, now, you know, so in 2019, after I left Cerebra, I ended up going uh, to business school to do a degree in uh, social enterprise, actually, in, in the intersection between profit and impact. And I'm really passionate about that and social entrepreneurship, especially in a place like South Africa, finding ways to solve big problems uh, by you know, binding and collaborating different sectors. So how do we how do we solve problems by uh, connecting the public sector, civil society, and 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 business. Um, yeah, love that. I was very lucky to do that at the the London School of Economics, so that was an amazing experience as well. Yeah, amazing. Congrats, dude. I am um, before before we move on from studying visual arts. Wasn't there a uh, video production, Quito link at some point? Did that have something to do with that part of your part of your life? Well, I like I desperately wanted to. I desperately wanted to get into the creative space, but at that point in time, I realized I didn't really have um, any experience or any exposure to it. And, and I, I, the more I, I, I understood what the advertising world did, the more I was like, cheapest, that sounds like something that I could contribute value to, or at least it's, it's broad enough that I could apply a lot of different skills and interests to it. So Kelvin, I must have applied at, I must have applied at 20 agencies for everything ranging from a runner to a junior copywriter to an account exec, 
every big agency in the country at the time I applied to and interviewed at, and I, I didn't get a single opportunity because, and understandably, because I was just like, yeah. I had no experience and I, I was maybe enthusiastic, but like that, that unfortunately doesn't count for a hell of a lot in, in advertising um, or in any industry for that matter. Um, and and uh, feeling sorry for me, a friend of mine who worked at Video Lab in Blake Gary, he had a he had a mate who was who kind of jumped on the back of the Quito uh, trend and was was doing a lot of music videos for guys who were rising up through the ranks very quickly. And he needed producers to basically organize uh, these videos. So I got paid three thousand rand uh, to produce um, a, a song called or the music video for a song. Uh, called Izinja by uh, Mapa Putsi. Um, and we, we it was legend, one isn't it? of the most fun experiences of my entire life. We, we shot at uh, Oliver Tambo at the hospital. We shot, uh, we, we destroyed an old Mercedes 220 in a, in a like in a junkyard and set it on fire. And we even shot at Benoni Junior School against a massive green screen. Um, but it was just, just an amazing experience. I loved it. it was, and, I, and I very soon learned that I, that's what I love doing. I love creating things by um, arranging resources and people and talent in a way that that made sense. And I, and like it. Yeah. Yeah, so this little one of the lesser known uh, experiences in my past, but it did help that you know it it uh, it exposed me to at least the knowledge yeah. that I could do that work. Sure. And then, um, yeah, I mean, and then I realized I'd never get a job in an advertising agency, so I went cap in hand to my dad and said, "Listen, I, I, I at that stage I'd met my future ex-wife um, and wanted to get married at the tender age of 21." And uh, I went to my dad and said, look, I need to get a job. Um, this university thing's not working for me. So he very kindly found me a telesales opportunity in a construction business in a, in a startup that were not really a startup. I mean, they were quite, quite well established at that point in time. But they did a, a replacement parts for earth moving equipment for, for Caterpillar. So they, they were interesting. They're like there's, there's a whole OEM uh, original equipment manufacturer division, which you go to Caterpillar and you buy the nuts and bolts and whatever. And then there's a whole sort of secondary industry that went to the original uh, manufacturers of, of, of these parts and components and said, can we just brand them something else and, and resell them? And Caterpillar hadn't secured patents or exclusive rights to all of those parts. So it, it basically grew an entire, so it was, I learned all about branding. I learned all about marketing. I learned all about um, how much money there actually is in the world. I learned about speaking Afrikaans to, to Willem van Straten in, in, in uh, um, Bloemfontein and trying to legitimize selling our greater parts to him. But it was a very entrepreneurial business. And what I fell in love with was the idea of being an entrepreneur, being the master of your own destiny. Uh, it just so happened that I did it in an industry that was probably not a natural fit for me. But, you know, I learned that it doesn't matter what you're selling uh, or what you're doing. The principles of entrepreneurship are consistent throughout. And, yeah, I think that's where the, the original seeds were planted. So, so, how did, so how did that then um, move into Cerebra? You know, what was that, that, that big spark that made you make that jump? Uh, or wasn't it a big spark? Was it a gradual thing that... Yeah, so I was there for a while, and then I left there to go and uh, work for a guy that was importing welding machines, and he wanted me to set up that business for him, so I did that, and then I, I didn't like that, so then I went back to the, the greater people, and to cut a long story short, I was like, I was doing this, and I was doing okay, and I was moving through the ranks, and I think they saw 
some some potential in me but i was just like i was deeply unsatisfied I, like i just i was sitting there going i feel like i'm a round peg in a square hole and there's something else that i'm not seeing and not discovering and i remember back then i i, I discovered yahoo geocities do you remember geocities it's a yeah, very yeah. old like cms like create your own website sure. and i remember i started a, a geocity site called edward says it was edwardsays.geocities.yahoo.com or whatever. And Edward Says was like, it was a blog. I didn't know it was a blog at the time, but that's what it was. Um, this was like 2002, 2003. And when blogging came around, I was like, this is kind of what I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for the, the ability to publish content online. Um, and I just didn't know what it was called or how it would look. And one of the four running bloggers in South Africa at the time was a business called Tomorrow Today. Uh, was run by Dr. Graham Codrington, still is today. Um, and there were a very small handful of bloggers in South Africa. They were one of the, the one of the guys in the community. Another bunch was Richard Mulholland and the guys at Joe Blog, Missing Link. They, they were very early. That's where I met uh, Richard Mulholland. Um, and, and to cut a long story short, I approached Graham and I said, listen, I'm really interested in this trend. And I think it could be a legitimate business in its own right. And he was like, I think you're wrong, <laughs> but if you want to make this happen, you can you can leverage off the back of our brand to do so. So I, I quit a very cushy job um, selling earth moving spare parts. I mean, our son had just been born. We just moved and taken out a bond and I decided to start a business with zero knowledge of what it meant to do so. Thank goodness, because if I'd known, I would have punched myself in the face. It was that stupid. And for the first six months, it didn't work. Um, I just got turned away again and again and again. And it was just like, this was this very new, very fringe, very nerdy thing that nobody really cared about. And then luckily I met somebody called Samantha Rocky at uh, SAB Miller. And Samantha Rocky said, well, I think you're onto something here, but like, it's not a marketing thing for us. It could be an internal communication thing for us. And we got our first client. Um, that was the awesome. yeah, after six months, two personal loans and begging to my father-in-law for, for money because I couldn't go to my dad because he, he would have definitely punched me in the face after I dropped out of university twice. Um, and the rest that's, is history. Stuff yeah, that's not, that's, not a, that's not a bad first client to get, ASAP Miller. Um, very, so, very mean, lucky. Fantastic opportunity. And I have, I have Sonia Blichnote and a lot of other people to thank. I, I will never, ever forget the people that made that possible. Um, yeah. I, you know... I, I, and I'll say this again and again, Calvin, and it's not, it's not trite. Um, I am the luckiest person you'll ever meet because I did not, I did not earn, and I certainly didn't have the credibility to to get the start that I did in Cerebra. But it, things just conspired in my favor, and and if there was any part of my personality that enabled me to take advantage of that, then I'm really grateful for that. But um, sure, but it, like I got very, very lucky. Yeah, I mean, but I, but I guess there's also an element of putting yourself in that situation to to accept that luck, right? I mean, uh, without being able to to identify it and take the risk and um, you know just just grab it by the horns when when it comes your way. I think that's that's one of the really incredible things about uh, about what you did and what what people do in this industry. So you, you did you did mention to me at some point, you know, there you had a few tricky partnership experiences during that whole Cerebra journey. Um, I mean, we, we don't go into specifics, but were there any specific learnings from that which, which you'd be aware of in future endeavors? Are you, are you a little bit yeah. more wary of partnering up these days or have the learnings kind of strengthened your confidence in how to do it? 
but I learned that I'm a pain in the ass to partner with. I learned that much. I, I don't think I'm the easiest person in the world to work with or to be married to for that matter. Um, shout out to Anna. Because um, they're kind of the same thing. You know, yeah. being in partnership with somebody is like being in a marriage. It's In fact, it's maybe even more intimate because you tend to spend more time with your business partner than you do with your, which is a dysfunction of society, but a reality nonetheless. Um, yeah, I think very early on, because of the nature of blogging at that stage, it was very open community, very open source, very very collaborative, uh, you know, just geek meetups and everything else. We wanted to keep it super loose. And, and that's the thing that happens with business partnerships, like it's super loose until, you know, you start making money and then, then it's super different. So I think, yeah, it was very kind of uh, informal at first. As soon as things started to kind of legitimize, we realized we had to, we had to tighten up uh, our agreements and make sure that we knew exactly what what we were getting ourselves into and yeah and so at that stage uh sort of once cerebral was formalized into into a proper pty limited proper entity in fact i lied it was the cc at that stage um and i was the sole sole shareholder and then um i met angus robinson who at that time was had started like a mobile media consultancy uh, which became Brandish and Brandish and Cerebra just had a really close kind of alignment in terms of values, positioning, life stage. And what a lot of people don't know is that Angus and I were never formally partners, but we were we worked as closely as any partners ever would. So that these two businesses kind of grew in tandem. We shared clients, we shared staff, we shared office space, but it was we never really went, okay, let's like sandwich them together. And in 2009, I went through a divorce and I was a shambles. I was, I, I'd made some pretty poor decisions. I'd handled myself badly. The, the business, Cerebro was, I mean, Cerebro was kind of on the rocks. Um, and Angus, to his credit, took up a lot of the slack, took up a lot of the, the pain um, that and and again, I will forever be grateful to the guy because in, you know in, in dire straits he he picked up a lot of the slack. And kind of at the lowest of the low moments, he said to me, "Look, here here's if you if you need to do a deal to to get out of this and start something new, let's do that. Here's the number, um, and uh, and and let's move on." And I was very seriously considering it, and I went away with um, Craig Rodney. Um, and Justin Spratt, actually, I did, went away for a weekend with our, our families, wives, and, and friends. Christoph Uppel was there with us as well. Um, and I was talking to them about this and saying, I think this is, this is something I need to do. I just need to kind of clear, clear the pathway, clean the slate and, and go, you know? And they were like, that will be the dumbest thing you, you ever do. Like, don't, don't do that. So whatever you're thinking of doing right now, don't do that. And, and so I decided to, it, it was kind of an ultimatum though, because it kind of had to be, complete amalgamation with with brandish or we had to we had to move uh, apart um and again Ang angus handled it brilliantly he's an absolute gentleman and a scholar um and he went off and started native and i went off kind of on my own own and then a, a year later craig said look why don't we do this thing where we we join these two businesses together because I'm a traditional PR and I'm getting more questions about social and tech. You're a traditional social, well, if there is such a thing, uh, you're getting more questions around the, the traditional media and PR side of things. And it made sense to join it together. And, and that was an amazing partnership for a very long time. Yeah. Um, Craig is as near as damn it to a brother as, uh, as I could have hoped for. Um, what, was, what, was, what was Craig's business again? Emerging media. Emerging media, that's right. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, and it was only at the end of, of the Cerebra journey, after we'd done the deal, after we'd sold out or whatever, that, that Craig and I started to go on our own journeys again, you know, because I think that happens. Like yeah. you develop sure. as individuals, you develop as business people, you develop as, on, excuse me, as entrepreneurs, and sometimes your life circumstances change, your priorities change, and, and it's okay. It's okay to, to, to change direction. I, I, when I look back at my entrepreneurial journey, the only regrets that I have or that maybe I didn't conduct myself as well as I could have in, in partnerships. And that certainly is a big part of how I think about partnering now is, is how can I, how can I be a better version of, of a partner in, in, in the entities that I, you know, get involved in. Yeah. I think, I think there's definitely something there, you know, we're talking about your folks and, and my folks, I think everyone's folks from my generation staying at same place, doing, doing similar roles in different companies for, 30, 40, 40 years, that, that, that doesn't exist anymore. You know, I don't expect any of my colleagues to stick around for more than three, five years. That's just not how it works. And, and uh, I, I guess the, the, the learning might be that your partners are not there for life either. Your business partners aren't there for life either and go into it knowing that, uh, and I guess just have those expectations from the beginning, right? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, yeah especially when you care deeply about those people, especially sure, when it's not sure. a transactional relationship. And I don't know how to be transactional. Like I have to care about somebody to want to work with them all the time, you know? So, yeah. uh, but, but that's but, okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's okay. It's, it's, uh, you know, you guys are part of a journey for a while and, uh, and then there's an understanding that we probably won't spend the next 50 years together. So let's do the, let's do this next little bit perfectly and, uh, sure. Sure. and, yeah. and easily. Maybe, maybe tell me that you're talking about that exit um, from from Cereba. Give me a couple of minutes on that, if you don't mind. How was how was that for you? You know, you you got to sell to to one of the more prominent companies in the industry, uh, WPP. What was that experience like for you? Oh man, it was amazing. Um, it it was the best learning learning curve of my life. I got an accelerated degree in corporate finance and negotiation very very quickly. <laughs> Somebody who's always been a terrible negotiator, that, that was hugely valuable. Um, no, man, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I learned an absolute ton. Uh, even when it was hard and challenging, I learned lessons that I think will be imperative for me as, as I journey forward. It, 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 was, it was interesting watching Cerebra evolve in a corporate context, uh, you know, a lot of my kind of assumptions about how those environments work, a lot of my naivety was exposed. Um, and I, le I, learned, I learned about politics and I learned about how to do some of the work that you, I guess, aren't accustomed to doing when you haven't really grown up in a corporate environment or when you've kind of had the autonomy that comes with being an entrepreneur. But yeah, I think it really added structure and it really added um, rigor to our business. And I think when we left Cerebra, it was a, it was a really cleanly run, beautifully structured, you know, kind of wonderfully represented. I was very proud of the business it was at the end. You know, I could confidently yeah. wrap a book and go, this is, this is a lack of business. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the leaving Cerebra was tough, tougher than I anticipated it would be. It is for everyone. It was really important to me though, that that exit was, clean and clear and that people understood exactly what was going on and i see a lot of entrepreneurs kind of treating exits a little bit like a messy divorce they're sort of a bit in and a bit out and, uh, and uh, nobody really knows and then you come and sleep over for one night uh, and then uh, so, yeah <laughs> for me it was like 
and and this is what happened. Like I I I planned to leave the last month, uh, so the last day of November, twenty eighteen. I announced that I would be leaving six months before that, uh, in 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 April. Um, everybody knew that was the plan, and the day I left was the last day I walked through those doors. Uh, I've been back once to Cerebra, and that was for a poker evening. And, and but I think that's important. I think you know being very clear about what's happening and 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 managing that change efficiently is is important for people. You know, agencies are very emotional businesses. They're very um, volatile environments, and and yeah. you have to treat that with respect and care because if you don't, you have a very negative impact on lots of people's lives. Yeah. Sure. How, how many how many years was it then that uh, that you were part of the business? Twelve. Twelve years. So so I mean, twelve years. Uh, I mean, you, you you alluded to it earlier. You know, kind of defining yourself again. Um, at a different stage of your life, you can't really, you don't maybe don't want to do exactly the same things that you did before. Did you did you have big plans when you were leaving? You know, you 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 left because you had these big plans to do something else, or was it something that you had to, I guess, rediscover for yourself after the fact? Yeah, no, I didn't have plans at all, to be honest. Cal. The only plan that I had was to 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 finish a degree, and um, that was a goal that I had, sort of a pre forty. Yeah goal. I had ideas for things that I wanted to do, but I really did want to give myself some time to, to sort of percolate and, and think through <laughs> debrief post-traumatic stress disorder and, and yeah, to, to give it, give it due consideration, you know, having said that I did that and had some really ambitious ideas for stuff that I wanted to do. And then 2020 happened. Um, and I was like, okay, maybe don't do it now. Maybe not the best time to launch stuff. Um, so yeah, so it's been it's been testing because I I've been a bit of a disappointment to myself. I think I, I, there's more that I would have liked to have done in this time. Uh, there's more value that I would have liked to have created, but I've given myself permission to be a little bit average for a while, and I suppose I've I've re redirected energy into other other endeavors. So I've I've, I've yeah. taken up about four thousand hobbies, um, and that's great. And yeah, it's looking what, after. What, what, give, give us, give us a couple of those. Not all four thousand. What, what are the yeah, kind of things that you, you want to know? Yeah. What I've started yeah, in the last yeah. few years. Yeah. So I, I did fly fishing before. I've become a lot more active in that, and I've, I, I bought a fly tying kit, and I've, I've tied, I think, a grand total of eight flies. But, I, but, but that's high <laughs> up on my hobbies list. I t I've taken up uh, jujitsu and, and MMA, which I love. Uh, I've, I've, I've taken up knife forging, blade smithing, which is, is enormous fun. Um, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing a lot more photography, which I miss doing and, and kind of creating, uh, creating that. What else have I done? That's about it, I guess. It's not that much. Yeah. Um, I, I, and, and then, and then, a, and then a highly successful podcast. I mean, how's that been going for you? Well, it depends on what you're comparing it to, but, uh, from a low base, yes, a highly successful podcast. Um, no, it's great. I'm loving it. It's a, a, a cool new experience. I'm learning a lot in the process. Um, show me an agency leader or ex-agency leader that doesn't love the sound of their own voice, and I'll show you a liar. Um, but no, I, I, I enjoy I enjoy really interesting conversations with really smart people, and it gives me a platform to do that. Yeah. Uh, and it okay. forces me into a rhythm of doing that, and, and I think that's a yeah. good discipline. Yeah. So, so, what, so what is this next, you know, what... what do you know, do you have any big plans? You know, what is the next big thing? 2021's here. Hopefully it's not the same as last year. Um, 
maybe maybe it's the time to do to take big steps yeah um even in my cerebral journey kelvin my preoccupation was with how difficult it is for leaders especially in big corporates and especially in big complex corporates that exert an enormous amount of influence over thousands of lives and over the economy mm -hmm. and over the way that the world works how difficult it is to do that work the work of leadership consistently and effectively and look after oneself and the business that you're a custodian of and do so in an impactful way and do so with integrity and faith. I mean, it's a huge, huge job and it's really tough to do. And I think it takes a massive toll on people and, and on the organizations that they run if they don't get it right. And I'm, I'm more and more convinced, and I think we have evidence of this everywhere, that we are in dire need of better leadership. We are short on leaders. Like we are, it's maybe the most precious and rare and scarce resource on the planet right now is, is profoundly effective, impactful leadership. Now I know how to help leaders do that within the context of technological disruption, but that's, a, that's one narrow consideration in any leader's sort of set of things that I need to think about on a daily basis. So a lot of the work that I'm doing in Beyond Binary now is, is helping leaders think about technology in a far more sustainable and impactful way. But I would like to become far more credible in helping leaders navigate all sorts of realms of change and challenge. And yeah, I just, I care very deeply about better leadership and leadership development. And I would love to um, start doing far more interesting work in that space. Sounds very exciting, man. I can't wait. I can't wait. So, yeah, as soon as, uh, as soon as soon as you start kind of rolling that out, uh, please please let me know. I'd love to chat to you about that again. Yeah, as soon as I so, can get out and flipping away, you might see something rolling out. <laughs> <laughs> so, dude, I mean, just to just to wrap up, uh, you know, we always we always kind of ask this question. We we started off by by trying to to dig into, you know, what are these small things or big things that have really shaped who you are and how you got to where you are. What would you say it is that that gave you that unfair advantage to to get to where you are now? You know, successful business that uh, you were able to exit, time to grapple and forge knives and and just be what I feel. You know, I, I think you you live a really full, happy life. And you know, what are the kind of things that maybe people starting out in the industry or starting out starting their own businesses should look to and think about? You know, that might give them a similar advantage. Yeah. So, I mean, again, the caveat, Calvin, is that I am lucky. I come from a privileged background. I was given opportunities that a lot of people wouldn't be given. And so I'm aware that a lot of what I say will sound like it might come across as very sort of frustrating for people who feel like they weren't given the same opportunity. So, I mean, that's an important caveat. But I think the first thing was that I, when I started Cerebra, knowing the risks that I was taking on, I, I thought, it, and I did, I can honestly say that I thought about this up front. And it wasn't something that I kind of retrospectively considered, but I was like, how will this be worth my while? Like, how will I know that this is better than being employed and being in a full-time job? And the measure for me was always like, can I say no? Like, can I say no to a meeting because I want to spend the afternoon at my kids' cricket match? Um, and that was always the test for me. It was like, who am I beholden to? Like, what, what, what does my autonomy cost me? Um, and, and how much control do I really have over my own time? Because that's all I have. Like that's, that's and we've, we've now learned this more than any time before, I think in our lives is that absolutely nothing is certain and all we've got is time. 
Like that's it, right? Like nothing is predictable. And so if I was the master of my own time, then then I was the richest person in the world. And that, that, was, that was a big theme that kind of carried through all of my decision-making and all of my, all of my decisions around where I was going to put energy and, and time. And then the other one was, I think, you know, Ryan Holiday says this in his book, Ego is the Enemy. But being, being me and knowing that ego is one of the things that uh, played a role in me getting to where I got to, uh, it was always important to me that I figured out how to get out of the way. Because if the moment I got out of the way, which is what we spoke about earlier on, you know, kind of managing the dynamics between your own brand and the brand of the business. And I actually, a quote that I've lived by for many years and actually just reposted the other day because I needed a reminder about it. But, you know, it's, it's remarkable what you can accomplish if it doesn't matter who gets the credit. Um, and I really believe that, Calvin. And I really believe that I, I, I worked flipping hard at creating an environment at Cerebra where I didn't need the credit. We didn't need awards. We didn't, I didn't need to be on a stage. I didn't need the spotlight. I didn't need to be the person running the meeting. I didn't need to be the person running our Friday BBGs. Um, I, ne I never, in all our years, this is gonna sound like I'm bragging, so I don't even wanna say this, but in all of our years of entering awards and bookmarks and luries and whatever else it was, I never ever went, went up once on stage to receive an award, never once. Not like I wasn't interested in it. Yeah. Um, maybe it was because I wasn't really doing the work, but yeah, point being, um, that was really important to me. That was a central focus of mine in the business was that shit flows uphill and hierarchies work only if they relate to accountability and not to power. So if you, if you want to be a great leader, figure out how to be the most accountable person in the room. Um, one of the great dysfunctions of our industry is how often junior people get, get blamed for management's mistakes. It's a, it's a crime. It, it's really an unpleasant, dysfunctional cancer in our business. And I really wanted to try and create an environment that wasn't like that. Yeah, I love it. And I think you did. So congratulations, dude, um, on everything. We're really looking forward to, to, to the, next, the next big thing. And, uh, and I appreciate you joining me. I think there's such cool stuff uh, in the last, wow, uh, what's that, 40 minutes, 45 minutes that we, that we chatted? Great didn't we? Yeah, cool. But dude, uh, good to chat to you. I appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, you good? Thanks. Cool. Thanks, man.